Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 146. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. It's raining at my house. Not that that really is a critical element to be announced in this podcast, but it is. Really all that means, you know, cold November rain, is that it's a good day to record podcasts, not such a good day to rake leaves. Not that I'm complaining all that much about that. Uh, Yesterday I was on a three-mile nature hike. It was kind of cold and it did start to rain towards the end, but I, I, you know, my excuse is I did my outside, outdoorsy thing yesterday, and today I can be inside, you know, like I said, doing podcasts. Um, I got two of them to work on. I got to do this one, and later I got to work on the Charlie Brown podcast. So, not so bad. Not bad at all. All right. Well, let's get on with things. How should we start? Oh, I know. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship. Or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. Yesterday, Mad Mike, yesterday as I record this, Mad Mike shared a post from Noise, N-O-I-Z-E, Toivy, uh, Toivy, Toivy, Noise Toivy. Um, Noise TV. Are you tired of people hurting your feelings? Tune in now and found out how you can get the help you need. Guessing it's some sort of comedy piece of some sort. I'm not going to click on it because I don't care that much. On October 29th, he shared an article from Forbes.com, the top four reasons California is unsustainable, with the comment, if you do not stand up and stop this decline, we will have nothing left. Politics as usual. Couple more politics related, another politics related post. October 26th, I think I mentioned this last week, he was at Surf City Blitz in the Noise TV booth. Yeah, nothing about the flat earth or building rockets or anything like that i should go see how his gofundme is doing let's see well there's a couple of Ma- uh, gofundme accounts mad mike hughes rocket launch last donation eight months ago zero raised not sure i understand that but then we have the flat earth here we go flat earth community rocket launch seven thousand nine hundred twenty one dollars of seven thousand eight hundred seventy five dollar goal Raised by 137 people in 16 months. We were contacted recently by a gentleman named Mad Mike Hughes. Not only is Mad Mike a daredevil, but he's also a flat earther. He ran across a billboard while watching flat earth media. Uh, basically goes on to explain what Mad Mike is trying to do. Said he was going to perform a stunt at the end of July, which I th- I'm thinking was July 2018. Wanted to promote flat earth awareness. Wants the flat earth community to sponsor his next event. Would like to put research flat earth on the prime spot of a 17 foot rocket on both sides. Also wants to put research flat Earth on both sides of his mobile rocket launcher, as well as a 4x4-inch area on his flight suit. Mike will be launching his rocket a mile into the air with him inside and is looking for $7,500 for sponsorship. So, they got, they met their goal. They passed it, actually. $7,921. I wonder what happened to that money. I don't recall there being a rocket launch in July. Read the latest update. No, nothing there. Interesting. If any of you happen to donate to this thing, did you get your money's worth? Hmm. I think I know the answer to that already. So, in this Mad Mike, in this week's Mad Mike Hughes update, in summary, there ain't nothing going on. And that's kind of par for the course. Alright, let's close up the Mad Mike Hughes update segment of this show. Right now. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his 
his rocket ship or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. All right. Hey guys, you know what? It's November. It's the holiday season. Thanksgiving is creeping up on us here in uh, the States. Hanukkah and Christmas are looming in December. This is a good time. Well, even if it's not a good time, it's the time I always do it. Time for me to plug myself. Right here, live on the podcast, in full audio splendor. Get ready. Um, as you know, if you've been listening to this show for a while, uh, years and years ago, I wrote a book called In St. Nick of Time. It's a holiday-themed book, which is why I mention it this time of year. What I did was I wrote a Santa Claus story for adults. The three main characters, Cameron Jones is a, uh, a writer struggling with some mental health issues, battling with his ex-wife over visitation with their daughter, suffering writer's block. He increasingly is spending his time talking to a hallucinated goldfish from one of his books, and he hangs out with a multiple alien abductee, alien conspiracist, general conspiracist named Dogwater Hunt, and they, through various plot points, end up meeting with Santa Claus, who has is burned out. He has quit being Santa Claus, and the three of them have wound up together in Santa Claus, Indiana, which is a real place. And the book kind of describes their relationship and how they, of course, because it's a Christmas book, save Christmas as we know it. Um, it's a fun book. It's a funny book. It is a Santa Claus story, as I said, but it is not for kids. There is some naughty language and some gunplay and, and things like that. It is very much for the adults. There's a kid in the book, but like I said, the book isn't really about the kid. I really like the book. It's an offbeat. Uh, I think it was a challenge to take make Santa Claus a character for adults, make him a real person, so to speak, um, that adults can relate to. Um, but I but I enjoyed it. I've heard from some of you who have already read the book and really liked it. I appreciate that. I hope to hear from more of you who do the same. Please consider checking it out. You can get it wherever you get books. Please remember, though, to head over to Amazon if you buy the book there, or wherever you buy the book, if you have the option to leave a review. Please do that, because it helps other people find the book, algorithms and whatnot, that online uh, booksellers use to promote books. If you, the more times you leave a review, the people leave reviews, the easier it is for other people to see it and buy it. Plus, it just makes me really darn happy. Um, so please consider doing that. All right, well, that's enough self-promotion. I have no other news, though, this week. Uh, I mentioned that it was raining. It's still raining. Uh, it has not quit in the time that uh, since I started the podcast today. So I guess we'll get on with the rest of the show. It's time to talk about this week's game. This week's game is Riddle of the Sphinx from iMagic, 1982. Riddle of the Sphinx, I feel tempted to just say, you know what, if you know how to play Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Atari game, just do what you do there in this game, because it's pretty darn close. It's not the same, and I'm not suggesting that this game is as difficult as Raiders of the Lost Ark is for many people, including me. I really hate the part when you're in the uh, the Well of the Souls, I think it is. No, not the Well of the Souls, where you, where you have to like jump from mesa to mesa, and you, if you miss, you fall into this forest thing with the teetsy flies. Yeah, I hate that part. Anyway, we're not talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
I've done that uh, game on the show in some episodes that I can't remember the number of. But if you're curious to know what I thought about that game and what sort of story I came up with, go and listen to that episode. In this game, being Riddle of the Sphinx, we're told that we can see hieroglyphics on an ancient obelisk that tell a strange tale. These are dark times. Death's long shadow rests across the Valley of the Kings. Anubis, jackal-headed god of the dead, has cast his curse over all of Pharaoh's kingdom. A plague of scorpions and hordes of thieves lie thick upon the land. Oh, hear the thin wine of despair. The thin wine of despair? I kind of feel like applies to 2018 society, frankly. Someone's going to have to meme that. The thin wine of despair. Anyway, back to the hieroglyphics. Sing of Pharaoh's son. All hail the prince of Egypt. Deliver us from this curse. Brave the dangers of the desert. Seek the answer to the riddle of the Sphinx. Pay Anubis' ransom with your treasures, O cunning prince of wiles. Isn't that the guy who married Meghan Markle? Or the other one? Kate? What's her face? Oh wait, that's the prince of Wales. Or is Charles the prince of Wales? I don't know. You royal watchers can correct me on that. What was I talking about? Pay Anubis' ransom with your treasures, the manual tells us. Oh, sorry, not the manual. The hieroglyphics that are translated in the manual. O cunning prince of Wiles. Of, of Wiles. Prince of Wiles. Reach the temple of Ra, source of light and life. Pharaoh's heir, be wise, be wily, and beware. So, the setup for the game is, according to the manual, we're traveling back to ancient Egypt. Pharaoh's kingdom languishes under a vile curse. His son, Egypt's heir, travels across the Valley of the Kings. To lift the curse, he must reach the Temple of Ra with priceless treasures. He must solve the riddle of the Sphinx. Uh, in the game, you barter with nomadic traders. Some give you gifts and artifacts useful on your journey. Others steal. Armed only with a sling and rocks, the son of Egypt combats marauding thieves and deadly scorpions. And they're deadly, too. They're huge. They're like truck-sized. The son of Pharaoh's trials earn him inner strength. Oasis, oasis refreshes thirst. Time heals his wounds. Because, as we know, time healed all wounds. Approaching sacred monuments, pyramids, the Temple of Isis and Anubis, the inscrutable Sphinx, Pharaoh's prince seeks to make the correct offering. If he fails to do so, he may not be able to move further or receive priceless objects in exchange. If he pleases the gods, his inner strength points his inner strength points grow greater, and his story and his store of treasures increases. He advances towards the Temple of Ra, source of light and life. Once there. He hopes to possess the treasure that will open the temple to him, liberating Egypt of Anubis's fierce curse. These things weigh on the young prince. He reviews his purpose. To lift the curse and prove himself a worthy successor to Pharaoh, he must. Gain as many inner strength points as possible. Complete his quest as rapidly as he can. Collect all the treasures he can find. Reach the Temple of Ra. The son of Pharaoh girds his loins. I know this is kind of a PG podcast here, but we will be girding loins. Uh quite openly in this game. I hope you're prepared. Also, there's something weird going on with the uh, goddess of fertility. Just saying. He prepares to confront his fate on the timeless sands that are Egypt. When I read that, what I think of is Charlie Brown telling Frida to suck it up and deal with Pigpen as her, uh, as Joseph to her Mary in the Christmas play in A Charlie Brown Christmas. And he goes on and on about how Pitpan may, Pitpan may be carrying the soil that was trod upon by Solomon, or even Nebuchadnezzar. Wow, I think I meant to pronounce that closely to correct. Nothing to do with this game or this story, but that's what I think of, because that's how my mind works. So, we're using the uh, 
using both joysticks for this. I will short circuit some of this, shortcut some of this manual by telling you the left joystick is what you use to move your guy. Use the red button to shoot your rocks. That's how you to throw your rocks. That's how you protect yourself. Use the right joystick. You have a little inventory bar at the bottom of the screen. You use your right joystick to um, select. Uh, to use the joystick to select the item in your inventory that you want to use, and the red button to activate that thing. Very much like Raiders of the Lost Ark. In fact, that's one of the things that makes me think of Raiders of the Lost Ark. The black and white color. The black and white color level does not color. Man, the black and white color lever does not affect the color display on your television set. However, to see how much time has elapsed during a game, you set the black and white color lever to color. To see that you set the right difficulty switch to A. To find out the prince's inner strength score, you set the black and white color lever to color. Set the right difficulty lever to position B. To find out the prince's wound and thirst scores, set the black-white color lever to black-white. To slow the action, set the left difficulty lever to position B. Uh, you start the game, you're at the bottom of the screen. Uh, you see a bunch of palm trees and white sand and uh, thieves walking around throwing rocks at you. The traders, which at first is a little disorienting because the traders look a hell of a lot like you. So, for a moment, you go all sci-fi, and you think, wow, am I, like, seeing me walking around? Is this some sort of time travel thing? But it's not. They just happen to look like you. It's pretty intuitive how you move your guy, right? You move the joystick around, and you know which direction you're going. You see many camels, palm trees, and obelisks on your track, but they do absolutely nothing for you, except occasionally you can hide behind them. It did make me a little disappointed that you couldn't do something with the camels, like ride them around or something. But you can't. You're armed, as I said, only with a sling from which you can throw an unlimited supply of rocks. And that's pretty intuitive. To throw the rock, you press the left joystick button. When wounded or thirsty, you can't throw them very far. You can only sling rocks forward. That was up towards the top of the screen. Uh, it's a scrolling screen. You, as you move up, obviously, stuff moves off screen. You can go back a little bit, but basically you're moving up the whole game. When moving back, though, you're defenseless until the enemies move past you. Thirst. One foe, the son of Egypt, travels with him always. Thirst. The longer you go without refreshment, the greater your thirst grows. As it increases, you slow down. You cannot throw rocks as far. You must seek water, become easy prey to thieves, scorpions, and the dread god Anubis. Pharaoh's son seeks release from his ragged thirst. Ragged thirst? Is that really the right adjective there? Anyway. Six oases offer you just that. No mirage, they flow forward. He must stop, he must drink. To drink at an oasis, the prince basically just walk up to it. Uh, head directly toward the water at the center of the oasis. Drink deeply. When you've satisfied your thirst, a, ball, a bell sounds. Re regain vitality, vitality, moving well and throwing far. To find out your thirst level, I think I said this already, set the black and white color lever to black and white. The number representing the prince's thirst appears on the right. Certain objects and treasures also quest thirst. We'll get there in a second. Wounds... Slow your uh, ability to move and make rocks difficult to throw. Robbed by a thief is one wound, struck by a thief's rock, one or two, depending on the level of difficulty. Stung by a scorpion is two wounds. Touched by the evil god Anubis, three wounds. So don't do that, friends. If you get enough wounds, you die, and the game ends. Time heals all wounds. As long as the prince can avoid an enemy's assaults, your injuries heal. The number of the prince's wounds appear when the black-white color level lever is set to black and white. The number of wounds appears on the left. Certain objects and treasures protect Pharaoh's prince from a thieves' rocks. Other cured wounds he have received. The goddess Isis can also gently cure the son of Pharaoh. Then Emmanuel tells us, 
Who are they who wound, heal, barter, and sometimes betray the persistent son of Pharaoh? Whom shall he attack, and whom avoid? What gifts does he receive, and which find? In what way, and towards what end, does he use them? Proceed, and be enlightened. Ancient Egypt's, ancient Egypt's ways will yet be known to you. So, you're meeting up with these. We talked about that already. Basically, you walk up to them, touch them, and you make a deal. You don't really get to control. You know, you're not going shopping. Like in the, uh, going back to Raiders, you're not like in the marketplace. We kind of pick what you want. Basically, you go up and, and trade. I'm not sure exactly what you're trading, but things appear in your inventory. That's the traders, actually. I was talking about the traders, obviously. The thieves, if you touch them, then they will take something out of your inventory after pelting you with rocks. Because thieves, if you didn't know, are jerks. If a prince hits the thief with a rock, you gain 60 inner strength points. If the thief hits the prince with a rock, prince receives one or two wounds, depending on level of difficulty. If the thief touches the prince, prince receives one wound. Scorpions pursue the thief, or pursue the prince, and can seriously wound should they come in contact with him. If you hit the scorpion with a rock, you get 60 points. If you scorpion touches you, you get two wounds per two wounds and lose 20 inner strength points. The nomadic traders, and I kind of talked about this already, you barter with them when possessions are few, think twice about dealing with them when you, you carry a lot of things, approach from below and touch the thief. Noise sounds when the transaction occurs. If you accidentally hit a trader with a rock, you lose 60 points. For many fast-moving thieves and scorpions, set the left difficulty lever to A. For fewer, slower-moving thieves and scorpions, set it to B. Isis, the goddess of fertility and motherhood, seems to comfort the prince by quenching his thirst and healing his wounds. She sometimes bestows precious treasures on the young son of Pharaoh. You approach her from below, kiss her feet to show respect. When you succeed in pleasing Isis, a bell sounds. Hmm, not sure what's going on there. Anyway, get your minds out of the gutter. That's gross. So if you please her, which is not always the case apparently, the bell sounds. Your wounds are healed, your thirst is quenched. If you please her and you're not wounded or thirsty, she might give you a gift. Anubis, the god of the land of the dead, faithful guardian of tombs, and, I don't know, Sam's Club member, must be avoided or he'll seriously wound you. The merest touch results in a wound. You lose 20 inner strength points and get three wounds. Don't throw rocks at Anubis. This act constitutes excessive pride and your inner strength score will suffer a hit. I didn't realize that first, so I would chuck a rock at Anubis every time I saw him, even though it didn't seem to do anything. It just is psychically pleasurable. But apparently it's a bad idea. If you hit him with a rock, you lose 77 inner strength points. So we talked about how to use treasures, right? You see the inventory bar at the bottom of the screen. Use the right joystick to move his little black box. And you move it over the item that you want to use and then click on it. Hit the red button. Objects are only in use as long as the black button covers them. A shield protects you from a thief's rocks. A staff retains magical powers. And you try to keep it from being stolen. Although I'm not sure how you do that. The jug quenches your thirst. Also, to back up a second, I'm not sure what sort of magical powers the staff supposedly has. The jug quenches your thirst. The tannis leaf uh, is, has healing properties. The spade allows you to search for treasures as you travel. You dig in the desert with a spade. Try to find the objects and treasures that will speed this, will speed you on your journey. To use it, you cover the spade with the black box. Press and hold the right joystick to use the spade. You can move while you're digging. To move and dig, lean on the left joystick while pressing the right joystick button. When you find an object or treasure, spade disappears and is replaced by the newly discovered item. You must use caution, though, because while you're digging, you're vulnerable to attack. I don't have any idea how you're supposed to know where to dig, but evidently that's a thing you can do. I have not tried to do that. Treasures are valuable and magical. 
There's the Disc of Ra, the Goblet, the Necklace, the Scepter, etc., etc. Still other treasures appear with specific uses that are unclear, but appear to be valuable. If you want to drop an object from your collection, select it for use by covering it with the black box. Press the joystick toward you, press the button on the joystick, and the item disappears. Magic! Exclamation point. That was in the manual, that wasn't me. So you persevere, despite setbacks, so many things to remember, so many things to do, you're strong, growing stronger, all Egypt is looking for you, looking to you for relief from Anubis, blah blah blah. You must solve the riddle of the Sphinx, you must reach the Temple of Ra, before leaving your father's palace at the Nile. On the Nile, Pharaoh's prince received advice from the royal astrologer. The astrologer instructed the prince concerning ceremonious offerings. Son of Pharaoh, avoid youthful folly. Make offerings at sacred places, pyramids, the Phoenix, Temple of Isis and Anubis, the Sphinx, and the Temple of Ra. So, you approach one of these temples, you pick an item you want to offer, you walk up to the uh, temple from below, touch the uh, temple, and if the temple accepts your offering, you get a bunch of points. A bunch meaning 500 points. If they don't like your offering, you lose 20 points. And often, a worthier treasure appears in place of the offering that you've made, if you're successful. The different temples are the pyramids, the phoenix, the temple of Isis, the temple of Anubis, the sphinx, of course. Once you pass these grand obstacles, you strive to reach the temple of Ra, revered by all Egypt as the source of light and life. Once you're there, you offer the temple all of your treasures. Ra sometimes accepts willingly. He rewards the prince with great stores of inner strength. Often, though, he, Ra resists an offering before count, uh, consigning to accept the prince's treasures. Place hard to get, basically. Quest remains unfinished. All Egypt remains accursed. The prince loses inner strength points should he offer the wrong object. The prince examines all his possessions for the correct offering. He searches tirelessly in pursuit of the simple object. What is it? What? Where can it lie hidden? Son of Pharaoh thirsts for the answer to this question, to this quandary. If Pharaoh's astrologer has written, Ra has all. But what need has Ra of wealth? Offer instead that which stands, yet cannot stand. That which journeys far, yet has no legs. That companion you rely and lean upon, yet never think to call friend. If you make the incorrect offering, you lose 20 points. If you make the correct offering, you get 500 points. For each treasure presented to the Temple of Ra, Prince earns 700 inner strength points. The game ends when the Prince either reaches the Temple of Ra, makes the correct offering, if necessary, and his treasures are accepted, or Pharaoh's Prince dies of wounds received on his journey. There are various game variations, I won't go through those now. There are some tips in the manual Tips to the Wise Wanderer from the Astrologer. You can read those at your leisure. Basically, it's just remember all the things that the manual tells you you're supposed to do to play the game, more or less. And that is how you play Riddle of the Sphinx. Can I just mention as an aside, Sphinx? Fun word to say. My extremely cursory research on the game did not reveal a lot of reviews, printed reviews anyway, of Riddle of the Sphinx. I'm sure there are out there, but like I said, I did extremely cursory research. There were some YouTube reviews. I know... Some of my fellow podcasters obviously have talked about this game before, so I would encourage you to check those guys out, unless you are those guys, in which case you already know this stuff already. I did find on Reddit a reproduction of a print ad for Riddle of the Sphinx. The picture is this dude with sort of cracked glasses, head in his hands, looking very exhausted, and he's got a stack of books next to him. 1001 Riddles, How to Play Video Games, Win, Win, Win. Egyptian something, you can't quite read the whole title. There's a glass of milk. There's um, a, you know, a Atari console with the uh, Riddle of the Sphinx, the box, and then also the cartridge in the console. He's just all strung out, 
the uh, tagline on the ad is Gary Larson thought he had all the answers. Gary had an IQ of 162. He never got anything less than an A on his report card. He was a whiz at chess. Then it happened. Gary plugged iMagic's Real of the Sphinx into his Atari video computer system. As Gary slowly, carefully made his way across Egypt's mysterious Valley of the Kings, he was attacked by rock-throwing thieves, plagued by scorpions, and tortured by thirst. Yet he went on. After passing the Sphinx, the Temple of Isis, the Great Pyramids, he reached the Temple of Ra, where he presented all his treasures. Unfortunately, he did not have the correct offering. Ra was not satisfied. Gary had to go back and try again. And again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Have you seen Gary as he is today? A veggie? Zonked out? Totally? This is a warning. iMagic games are created by experts for experts. Do not try to solve the riddle of the Sphinx. If your, if your IQ is equal to or less than your belt size. Ow. Take that, Atari players. After all, a brain is a terrible thing to try. iMagic. Created by experts for experts. There's some debate in the comments over whether this Gary Larson is the Gary Larson of the Farside comic. And as someone points out that they spelled Gary Larson in the ad, uh, Larson, L-A-R-S-E-N, Gary Larson of the Farside comic, which was an excellent comic, by the way, is L-A-R-S-O-N. There's some more commentary about how if I had an IQ of less than or equal to 32, I'd already be a vegetable, no puzzle games needed. Uh, I never solved this game as a kid. It is kind of refreshing to see ads from an era not that long ago when people actually read. Uh, not a whole lot of commentary in this, uh, not a whole lot of comments in this Reddit post about the game. They're mostly about this ad. Wikipedia claims that Activision was the first third-party publisher for the Atari 2600, and iMagic was the second. We're all familiar with the iMagic games. Despite initial success in sales greater than projections, the company's fortune reversed after the stock market dumped video game stocks in late '82 scuttling iMagic's initial plan to become a publicly traded company. It released 24 titles before going out of business in 86, but the exact time it disbanded is unknown. In 83, the company laid off 40 of their 170 employees, but appeared at the 84 Consumer Electronics Show with plans for four IBM PC Jr. games. The right to iMagic's most popular titles have been owned by Activision since the late 80s, and they've been re-released on several occasions. Anubis is the Greek god of mummification and the afterlife, an ancient Egyptian religion, although Anubis is the Greek name for that Egyptian god, usually depicted as a canine or a man with a canine head. Archaeologists have identified Anubis's sacred animal as an Egyptian canid, the African golden wolf. Anubis assumed, assumed different roles in various contexts, depicted as a protector of graves as early as the first dynasty. Anubis was also an embalmer. By the Middle Kingdom, circa 20... Uh, 55 to 1650 BC, he was replaced by Osiris in his role as Lord of the Underworld. One of his prominent roles was as a god who ushered souls, ushered souls into the afterlife. He attended the weighing scale during the weighing of the heart, in which it was determined whether a soul would be allowed to enter the realm of the dead. Despite being one of the most ancient and one of the most frequently depicted and mentioned gods in the Egyptian pantheon, Anubis played almost no role in Egyptian myth. A new form with the jackal on a tall stand appeared in the late Old Kingdom and became common thereafter. In Greek legend, the Sphinx devoured all travelers who could not answer the riddle it posed, which was, what is the creature that walks on four legs in the morning, two legs at noon, and three in the evening? The hero Oedipus gave the answer, man, causing the Sphinx's death. In Greek tradition, the Sphinx has the head of a human, the haunches of a lion, and sometimes the wings of a bird. It is mythicized as treacherous and merciless. Those who cannot answer the riddle suffer a fate typical in such mythological stories as they are killed and eaten by the ravenous monster. This deadly version of a sphinx appears in the myth and drama of Oedipus. Unlike the Greek sphinx, which was a woman, 
The Egyptian Sphinx is typically shown as a man. In addition, the Egyptian Sphinx was viewed as benevolent, but having a ferocious strength similar to the malevolent Greek version, and both were thought of as guardians often flanking the entrances to temples. It was said that Hera, or Ares, sent the Sphinx from her Ethiopian homeland, the Greeks always remembered the foreign origin of the Sphinx, to Thebes in Greece, where she asked all passerbys the most famous riddle in history, which creature has one voice, and yet becomes four-footed, and two-footed, and three-footed. She strangled and devoured anyone who could not answer. Oedipus solved the riddle by answering, man who crawls on all fours as a baby, and walks on two feet as an adult, and then uses a walking stick in old age. By some accounts, but much more rarely, there was a second riddle. There are two sisters. One gives birth to the other, and she, in turn, gives birth to the first. Who are the two sisters? The answer is day and night. The second riddle is also found in a Gascon version of the myth and could be very ancient. Bested at last, the Sphinx threw herself from a high rock and died. An alternate version says that she devoured herself. In both cases, Oedipus can therefore be recognized as a liminal or threshold figure, helping affect the transition between the old religious practices represented by the death of the Sphinx and the rise of the new Olympian gods. Who is Oedipus? Well, Oedipus, which is a word meaning, oddly, swollen foot, uh, Oedipus the person, was a mythical Greek king of Thebes. A tragic hero in Greek mythology, Oedipus accidentally fulfilled a prophecy that he would end up killing his father and marrying his mother, thereby bringing disaster to his city and family. The story of Oedipus is the subject of Sophocles' tragedy Oedipus Rex, followed by Oedipus at Clonus, and then Antigone. Interesting bit of trivia, when I was in a high school advanced uh, writing class, I don't know if it, well, it was like an advanced English class or world literature or something, I wrote a research paper on those three stories, Oedipus Rex, Oedipus at Clonus, and Antigone. Interesting stories. You should go read them. They're pretty good. Those three plays make up uh, Sophocles' three Theban, three Theban plays. Oedipus represents two enduring themes of Greek myth and drama, the flawed nature of humanity, and an individual's role in the course of destiny in a harsh universe. So, years after killing his father, thinking that he was a stranger that he had to kill for reasons, he goes in search of finding out who killed King Laius, discovers that it was himself, he himself who did it. His mother, Jocasta, upon realizing that she had married both her own son and her husband's murderer, hanged herself. Oedipus then seized two pins from her dress and blinded himself with them. The legend of Oedipus has been retold in many versions and was used by Sigmund Freud to name and give mythic precedent to the Oedipus complex. Uh, yeah, Greek plays, usually major bummers uh, in terms of story. You, these were not popcorn movies of their day. It was, like, majorly depressing. But still, very interesting stories. Anyway, after the break, knock knock, who's there? Riddle. Riddle who? Riddles are super annoying. Gonna find a new career. Okay, bye. Riddle of the Sphinx, or How I Learned to Love Again Despite the Cold, Dead Lump in the Recliner Across the Room. In stores now. Alright, so we're playing Riddle of the Sphinx. Very reminiscent of Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you ask me. But let's see what we have here. So I got my boy out here in the desert. Lots of palm trees. An obelisk. There's a uh, thief throwing rocks at me. That's not cool, thief. I took care of him. There's a spaceship, I mean, uh, temple, 
I wonder if it is intentional. I only have one item in my inventory, so that's what I'm going to offer the temple. That was not the right call. There's a giant scorpion. Let's talk for a minute about the human-sized scorpions. Anyway, what was I saying? I wonder if it's intentional that one of the temples looks a lot like a UFO. Of course, there's a lot of speculation about uh, among uh, alien theorists that the pyramids were built by or with the help of... Sweet, I just got a thing that looks like a sword from this trader. There's Isis, who is here to pleasure me, or whatever it said in the manual. There's no... Oh, I got a jug of water. That's good. Um, so there's a theory among uh, UFO believers that aliens, space aliens, either helped build the pyramids or built them. So I wonder if that's intentional, that one of the temples looks like a UFO. If you have thoughts on this, let me know. Not a lot of audio in this game. I feel like it could do with some adventure music of some sort. But, oops, I just killed a traitor. Sorry! Oh, I killed another one. Man, I gotta be stopped. Okay, I traded with that one. Wonder why you can't do anything with the camels. This meant you should be able to ride a camel or trade a camel or something. There's a water oasis. Yes! There's Anubis. I want to fight Anubis. I got this sword thing. Maybe if I put my inventory on the sword thing, I can fight him. Alright, I'm gonna go fight him. Ooh. I guess not. Nothing really happens, though. I guess you lose part of your score. Ooh, he wounded me pretty good. Okay, that was probably a dumb idea. I'm gonna get away from Anubis. Not very quickly, though. Alright, yeah, get some water. Up, helping me with rocks. Alright, ooh. I may have screwed around too much. I can barely... Oh, I'm dead. Is that like a halo over his head? When the screen fades to orange, as it does when the game ends, there's a little glowing line above his head. Is that supposed to be a halo? Interesting. Well, I didn't really expect the game to quit, uh, to end that quickly, but that's life. Back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's x-e-g-s, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. So here's the thing about Riddle of the Sphinx. I like the game. It's interesting. It's one of that, um, I don't know if it's a rare group, but it's probably a smaller group of Atari games that are not pick them up and play them kind of games. You know, it's in that group, like I said, with Raiders of the Lost Ark, games of that nature that are a little quieter, require a little more thought, there's a little more planning you need to do and paying attention to inventories and that kind of thing. So it's in a different class of games, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think if I spend a little more time with the game, I get into a little bit more. I get the sense that it's probably not as complicated as Raiders, uh, which may be a point in its favor, depending on your point of view. 
but uh, it, but it's an interesting game. It looks good. I don't know if I mentioned in the field report much about the look of the game. It's um, characters, the sprites are really uh, detailed for an Atari game. You can really see what's what. In the inventory, some of the uh, characters leave a little bit to be desired as far as figuring out well, what's that thing. But it's not bad. I think it's an interesting game. And I, to the extent that I recommend games on this show, I guess I would recommend it if you're into sort of that more um, cerebral, thoughtful kind of game. All right. Let's get on to this week's story. This week's story is... Fink Sphinx. Come on, come on, Arnie B. Nubis groaned. The god of the dead could usher countless souls to the underworld, but he couldn't make traffic move any faster on the valley of King's Expressway. He had to deliver the Sphinx to the Temple of Ra to block the son of the Prince of Egypt with a riddle lest his curse be undone, and he was not making good time. If Arnie also knew that history would record his name as Anubis, not Arnie B. Nubis, he would have lost his ancient crap entirely. Hey, Arnie, the Sphinx said from the back seat. Want to hear a riddle? Not now, Sphinx, Arnie said. I'm driving. If you're American when you go into the bathroom, and American when you come out of the bathroom, what are you when you're in the bathroom? Arnie was suspicious. His scowl deepened. I do not understand this American you speak of. Also, bathroom? Sphinx chuckled. European! Nonsense words, Arnie grumbled. He should have cursed Sphinx, too. Can I get out of this car seat? Sphinx whined. No. I'm hungry. You're a Sphinx, Arnie countered. No, you're not hungry. I'm thirsty. Same answer. Arnie and Sphinx drove on through the Valley of Kings. Billboards offered thieves for hire. Casino signs flashed priceless treasures. Nomadic traders walked along the roadside, flagging down motorists and promising a good time. When an oversized truck hauling the pieces of a pyramid and all the laborers cut Arnie off, the god of death was tempted to fulfill his moniker. So very tempted. The Nissan Pyramid minivan chewed up the miles. It was almost peaceful. Arnie even started to relax a bit to savor the evil he had wrought at the last gas stop. Free jalapeno poppers for everyone. Arnie felt so calm he almost bared his fangs in a smile. But then, I'm bored. I thought you were sleeping, Arnie tried to say jovially and failed completely. I'm a Sphinx, Sphinx said, as if this explained everything. Arnie had nothing to say. Well, in general, as he usually spoke with ways of death, rather than words, but he was also at a loss for words now. Why am I buckled into this child's car seat? Sphinx asked. Why is anyone buckled into anything? Arnie countered. For a moment, Sphinx was stumped. Gotcha, Arnie thought with satisfaction, the closest thing to an emotion he would acknowledge. It only lasted a moment, though. Hey, Arnie, Sphinx said. Arnie, for a moment, wished he really was a jackal and could run away from all this. What, Sphinx? Want to hear a riddle? No. Sphinx plowed ahead. What creature walks on four legs in the... Arnie cut him off. No, not that one. You must save that riddle for our enemies. That riddle will be a great fortress keeping out our enemies, and they will pay untold fortunes for the answer. Hey, Arnie, Sphinx said. What, Sphinx? What starts with T is filled with T and ends in T. You know, if we spoke English, which probably doesn't exist yet. Stop. A teapot, Sphinx giggled. Hey, hey, what goes up but never goes down? Your age. I am a god, Arnie said. Age is immaterial. A pause, then from the back seat. I got a tinkle. Finally, Arnie and Sphinx arrived at the Temple of Ra. 
If any wished to enter, they would pay the ransom of Arnie B. Nubis. If they could not, their wealth would become Arnie's, and he would use that wealth to his great power to crush. He would use that wealth and his great power to crush the humiliated citizenry to nothing. A simply dressed man approached the Sphinx. As Sphinx and Arnie had rehearsed for the last hour of the trip, Sphinx recited the riddle that would confound the land. What creature walks on four legs in the morning, two legs at noon, and three legs in the evening? The man smiled. Quite obvious, isn't it, my friend? The answer is man. He crawls on all fours as a baby, walks upright on two legs as a child or young man, and uses a cane, a third leg of sorts, as an old man in the evening of his life, so to speak. Damn it, Arnie groaned. Name's Oedipus, Oedipus said to Arnie. Lovely temple you've got here. Mind if I bring a date? Mom's waiting in the car. The Sphinx walked over to the defeated Arnie and said, I gotta poop. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks also to Mike Mann for his Mad Mike Hughes update theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, but riddle me this. Where can you leave a review of this show while enjoying the fruit of the apple, but not actually eat any apples? Apple Podcasts, of course. So go do that thing. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page, B-Y-T-E-S for Bytes, A-T-A-R-I for Atari, if you need help with that. Um, and please consider doing that thing as well. The website is ataribytes.libson.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the Atari Bytes Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Hit me up on Instagram, on Instagram too, because occasionally there's some weirdness over there. And don't forget to check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your animated Peanuts gang needs. But not just animated Peanuts. No, no, friends. You liked your Snoopy in printed form? We talked about that. You like uh, plush Snoopy toys? We'll probably talk about them, too. You want to climb in deep inside the doghouse that is Charles Schultz's mind itself? We spend a lot of time there, friends, and it's pretty cool. You like Snoopy and Charlie Brown and Linus and the whole gang. You know you do, admit it. And you certainly have friends and relatives who do. So bring them along. Come hang out with us in Peanuts Town on the 15th of every month. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. Next time on Atari Bytes, 3D tic-tac-toe. Yep, I'm going to make up a story about tic-tac-toe. I'd be scared, except I once made up a story about the game Othello. So, come at me, tic-tac-toe. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.